0: Hello?
1: Hello? Podcast Network Asia.
0: Welcome to the Narrow Door Podcast, kids. Come on in. I'm Sam O. Tina Ryan is in the house, along with instructor Aaron Russo of Shinshinji Church of Jesus, and our friend Jay Aruga host of the Jay Aruga Show, the first Filipino podcast on conservative values. So get this, right? We were supposed to talk about this parable on the last episode, but Instructor Aaron and Jay are such Bible nerds that they just talked shop for an hour, and here we are. Well, I'm excited because today's parable of song is a noteworthy one. Insert emoji of monkey covering his mouth here. It's my fave. I left you guys hanging last time, though, with a question, so let's get to it.
1: And then you can go to verses like Psalms 119, verse 54, or 172, and it says, I will sing of your word, right? Your song is, or your words or your decrees are the theme of my song. So a real song in the Bible, it has nothing to do with like a gospel song or, you know, a praise song in the world. It has everything to do with preaching the word. That's really what God's word is. It's a song and we sing it. We sing it from the heart, but you have to know it to sing it.
2: For a Catholic, if you study Revelation, the new song may be associated with the uh, hope for the new exodus. So, of course, it could be, yeah, at the end of times, the new exodus to the promised land, which is heaven.
0: And that song is in my head. And I'm sure you know the song too, sound. Which one? Like the one we used to sing in church. Sing a new, new song unto the Lord. On to the Lord. <laughs> yes. Here's a question. Going back to the different senses that we read scripture, Jay, as Catholics, right? Because you did mention that one of the senses is anagogical, which concerns future events. So Mm -hmm. let's just stay in the realm of future events, right? Because Mm -hmm. we are talking about prophecies for the second coming. Shinchenji believes that because there's a prophecy, there needs to be a testimony. What do we think is supposed to happen about these anagogical things? Is there going to be a testimony for that as well? Are we waiting for that?
2: At the very least, it's in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we, we say that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. So that's the very least that we're, we, we believe in, in the second coming. And the other details is like, we, they, they, they're just like the details on what will happen. But at the very least, it's in our Apostles' Creed. We, we believe that Christ will indeed come again. To yeah. judge the living and the dead.
0: Right. So, but so, so As a so,
2: Catholic, that's, yeah.
0: Right. So then do we think that the things that are in the book of Revelation, because I mean, there's some crazy imagery in there, right? Mm-hmm. So do we think yeah, that yeah. we're supposed to be waiting for those things to physically manifest? Like literally? Like Christ coming down? In, like, slow motion and, you know. I mean, you know, things like, you know, beasts coming out of the sea and, you know, all kinds of stuff.
2: Yeah, because throughout history, a lot has prophesied, uh, like, based on revelation. So we have the Jehovah's Witness who prophesied in the early 20th century and they keep on missing the mark and they they move the end of the world date, uh, (laughs) constantly and oh, it's still man.
0: how many times so have they time I, done that I'm sorry La- I'm not laughing at the yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses, no, no. but this sorry. is just something that we see happen all the time like you don't know, remember Y2K happened and then it was supposed to be some other other virus and then, oh, then now, thing. Now, now what is war in Ukraine oh. Russia it's gotta be a sign it's so sad yeah but um right right there's
2: always there it's, it's always there the, the prophecy of the end of the world so that's why I, I, I said as Catholics most of us are like living in the present. Uh, it's Lent right now. It's yes. Ash Wednesday, so say, we're called Do we say happy Ash Wednesday?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not right. Okay, blessed. Have a blessed, blessed. Ash
2: Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, blessed
0: so, Ash Wednesday, everyone. Okay, yeah.
2: So, so most of our 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 like works of piety, acts of piety, is uh, directed towards the present, and of course, we 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 we're looking at the future as well, because in the end, we will be victorious with Jesus Christ in heaven. So that's the that's where we'll all go. But for now, we we have to think about like what we should do. How will how we'll battle sin? We need to pray to ask for the grace of God because without grace, we cannot battle sin alone. So that that's where we are at as Catholics. So so in Lent they this this morning they they taught about the three pieties prayer so this is from Matthew six prayer almsgiving and fasting and abstinence so so or abstinence so that those are like what we're most for for now that those are the things we're concerned of as Catholics right so it's more of the internal the the changing of the internal so to to be able to like to, to work through the external
0: got it okay from
1: inside yeah
0: okay all right so shall we then now move on to the song parable then <laughs> finally oh, <okay. laughs> oh my goodness
1: i i can make it simple i can make it sim-
0: Can and you I, I can
1: make it yeah i can make it where it actually it'll fit everything that we've you know basically been been saying because <laughs> because the, the new well it's really cool because the bible is always connected right it's really amazing but the the new song actually has everything to do with what we're saying at this point. So, and not not to take anything away from what was just said, because that's actually how people are meant to be living a Christian life for the last 2000 years, right? Believing in Jesus, believing that he died on the cross for our sins, that we are sinful people that have to constantly be uh, vigilant and overcoming, right? And fighting against ourselves. What Paul always said, you know, he's got this battle in between him, right? This battle of what he desires to do, but what his body wants to do, you know, those kind of things. So when you go to the song itself, now a song in the world, of course, it's got lyrics, right? And people sing it. And the song in the Bible, it's something very specific. The song in the Bible, just to give the answer, it represents really teachings. But what type of teaching is the important part? So if you go to the Old Testament, okay, in Deuteronomy, Right before they're about to go into the promised land, they, they get taught what's called the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 31 and Deuteronomy 32. And the Song of Moses is all about what God just did for them and what's going to happen. So he's teaching them this song and he says, this is the song you're meant to sing you know, and teach to the Israelites. It's called the Song of Moses. Now, the reason this is important is because it shows up again in Revelation 15. Right. The song of Moses shows up again. So what did they learn? They learned that God did all these things for them and then they would sing this all the time. And then you can go to verses like Psalms 119 verse 54 or 172. And it says, I will sing of your word. Right. Your song is or your words or your decrees are the theme of my song. So a real song in the Bible, it has nothing to do with like a gospel song or, you know, a praise song in the world. It has everything to do with preaching the word. That's really what God's word is. It's a song. And we sing it. We sing it from the heart. But you have to know it to sing it. So in the Old Testament, the Song of Moses, it was the law, really is what it represented. The teachings of God for his people and also the prophecies about what would happen. Inside that song, it says, you know, really what's going to happen is you're going to become fat and you're going to kick. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. They're actually going to betray against God. He already promised that that would happen because he knew their heart. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? The betrayal took place. Now that song was sung for 1500 years, but there was a prophecy. There's a prophecy in Psalms. uh, I think it's 33. It talks about a new song that will be sung. There's going to be a new song sung. And there's a lot of different prophecies actually in uh, the old Testament. that Talk about a new song that I'm going to teach you things that you did not know before that type of thing. So he promises a new song that will come. Well, who's the fulfillment of the Old Testament? It's Jesus. So now when Jesus comes, he's not teaching the same old song, right? He's not teaching the same teachings of Moses. He's not teaching the law of Moses. He's teaching the fulfillment of the law is what he says, right? I did not come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. So exactly what Jay was just talking about, that's the Sermon on the Mound, right? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mound from Matthew 5 to Matthew, like really 8, really 7, you know, and 8, but mostly 7. And it's so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's on the mountain and he's preaching, but he's not giving the same law. He's giving a fulfillment of the law. And he's actually teaching a very spiritual law. Murder is not just physically killing somebody. It's having hate within your heart, right? Adultery is not actually physically committing adultery alone. It's actually, you know, lusting after a woman in your heart, right? So all these different types of things that becomes a new song that they sing. So the new song, it represents the fulfillment of prophecy, Right? And the teachings of God, so what did Jesus actually do? He was singing the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I am the fulfillment through this right for example, when he I love this is one of my favorite things, but he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter four verses like seventeen to twenty one He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he reads isaiah sixty one isaiah sixty one verse one says "The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me right he has he has uh But chosen me, basically, has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And so for 700 years, you would think that that was Isaiah because it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. So you would have no idea that that's a prophecy because Isaiah is the one that wrote it, right? And he's writing all these amazing things. The spirit's working through him, all that kind of stuff. But then Jesus actually unrolls it and says, you know, after reading it, he sits down and everyone in the synagogue is just looking at him. And it says, you know, he began by saying, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he was actually the fulfillment of that scripture. He was fulfilling it at that very moment. That's him singing the new song. And so all the people that listened, they had to learn the song of Jesus at the time of the first coming, which was the song of the fulfillment, him preaching the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the prophecies for the second coming. And so that's what we've been really learning and teaching for 2000 years. We've been singing the song of what's called the song of the lamb. And again, the reason that's important is because it shows up in Revelation 15, right? Revelation 15, verse 2 and 3, it says they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, right? But the most important thing is the new song. So in Revelation chapter 14, verse 3, it says those on Mount Sion, they're singing a new song. So there's been a prophecy for a new song for 2,000 years. Yeah. And all we're saying right now is that everything that that Jay has been saying is totally true up until a certain point. Just like it says the law and the prophets were until John, and then Jesus was teaching a new teaching. For 2000 years, we have been drinking the wine of Jesus. We have been singing the song of Jesus. But what we're saying is now, the fulfillment of Revelation has come, and the new song that everyone must learn is that fulfillment. And the only way to be a believer is to actually believe in that truth. Just like at the time of the first coming, right? Oh, sorry, you were going to say something?
0: I I mean, because I, I I just want to clarify, that doesn't mean that we're now abandoning what happened at the time of Moses, what Jesus taught, but this is just the progression in the salvation plan that God had prophesied, like, from the start. This is how he had always wanted it to go. Is what, yeah, is that's
1: what why they saying, sing the right? song of Moses, the song of the lamb, and the new song.
0: But nice. instructor Aaron, yeah. you have to be in the right mountain to know the new song. Yeah, yeah. Or do you have to have to you have to know the new song for you have to be in the mountain first, the right mountain, right? Yeah.
1: But the mountain itself is you know, if you look at Daniel chapter two, it says the mountain filled the whole earth. Uh. Now, literally, that's not possible, right? I mean, I'm one mountain fulfilling, you know, filling the whole earth, but what does that mean because it's not a literal place mount zion is you know it's a spiritual place it's it's god's temple god's tabernacle right the church of god the church of jesus that's not in a physical location sure it starts in a, a certain place just like jesus started in jerusalem right? born in bethlehem but christianity is all over the world it's the same thing right? it's the same thing so no you're 100 right it's not abandoning everything it's actually learning the true understanding of the old testament song of moses The true understanding of the teachings of Jesus, the song of the lamb, and also learning the fulfillment of revelation. So learning all of it means that you can sing what's called the eternal gospel, right? Revelation 14, verse six, the eternal gospel. And that's the fulfillment of everything. The only way that you can learn it is if it's actually fulfilled and then testify, right?
0: And that song is in my head. And I'm sure you know the song, too, sound Which one? Like, the one we used to sing in church. Sing a new new song to song the Lord. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh,
1: wow. But that's literal.
0: <laughs> okay. 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 Um, it's
2: already an old song at this point.
0: I know. Sure. I'm sorry. that's like so <laughs>
2: Jay. Ouch.
0: So anti climactic <laughs> After all sorry. that talk about a new song, you sing an old one. No. Um, okay. Okay. Thoughts, Jay?
2: Yeah, so so let let me just share the perspective of a Catholic uh, reading Revelations and seeing the new song in Revelations 5. So for a Catholic, if you study Revelation, the new song may be associated with the hope for the new Exodus. So of course, it could be, yeah, at the end of times, the new Exodus to the promised land which is heaven So the first exodus where Moses like sang the song it's during after the parting of the Red Sea So that's in Exodus 15 and Moses loves to sing songs so besides, aside from that Moses like has a song as instructor Aaron said in Deuteronomy and also some of the Psalms are from Moses like 90 to 100. In Psalm 96 and 98, it speaks about a new song. So how does everything relate to Revelation, everything that I I said? So in Revelation 4, verse 6, it said that the elders are singing next to a sea of glass. So the same with Revelation 15, they sang uh, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb beside the sea of glass right after defeating the beast. It's kind of similar to Moses singing beside, the, right after the sea, the, the Red Sea parting. So, 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 so it was mentioned in Revelations that they, they sang this after defeating a beast. So it's a victory song. So interestingly enough, in Psalms 74, 13 to 14, the victory at the Red Sea is compared to God crushing a great sea monster. So let me read that for you guys. So it says, Thou didst divide the sea by thy might, thou didst break the heads of the dragons on the waters, thou didst crush the heads of Leviathan. So thou did give him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. So there seems to be like a parallelism in there. Right. So 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 what I see is in the first Exodus to our final Exodus when the Lord triumphs in the last days. Jesus is the new Moses and he brings us to the new promised land which is heaven. So that's the that's for me the anagogical sense in there. So also this song of Moses is written for Israel, the one in Exodus 15 and the one in Deuteronomy. It's meant to remind them of all that God has done for them coming out of Egypt. So how does this new song relate to the Christians that John addressed the revelations to? Because I, I need to like, keep on returning to that. I, I know instructor Aaron said that John didn't mean to send uh, revelation to the Christian churches back then. But for me, we can't ignore that because there is an audience back then. So, so it's interesting that in the book of Revelation, John calls Jerusalem allegorically Egypt and Sodom. So it's in Revelation 11 verse 8. So in John's day, the song of Moses might be sung by Christians reminding them of what the Lord has done for them coming out of the allegorical Egypt, the destruction of Jerusalem as it is being judged. So that, that's for me. It's no surprise that Revelation could repeat past Themes because I'm also part of the unboxing Catholicisms unboxing the Bible and me and my uh, Burns and I mentioned the word echo there and there's a lot of echo in the whole Bible so
1: yeah. I guess that's all I can say on uh, for that one
0: right right
1: Revelation 11 verse eight that's an interesting one like the great city that's that's actually where the two witnesses are killed in Revelation 11 so again something that's pertaining to the future. That actually takes place. And it says it's figuratively like Sodom, Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified, is what the actual wording says. So this great city is figuratively like Sodom. So you have to ask why, you know, why is it like Sodom? It's like Egypt. So why? And then it's also like where the Lord was crucified. Well, in Sodom, there was the few people, Lot, right? Lot and his family, and it was going to be destroyed. So this great city was a place that is, you know, where there is people that have to flee and it's going to be destroyed. It's like Egypt. What was Egypt like? God's people were actually living as slaves in Egypt. And if you look at Revelation 18, it's talking about Babylon, and it says, come out of her, my people. Right? Come out of her, my people. God's people are inside of Revelation 18. They're inside of Babylon. So it's like Egypt because there is this this entity, which is the Pharaoh, that Moses has to battle against with the ten plagues and then bring his people out. There's the Passover event that takes place. And there was a Passover event that takes place in the time of the first coming and also a Passover event that takes place in the time of the second coming. And then it's like where the Lord was crucified because this great city, what happens? The two witnesses, these are the two witnesses of the Lord and they are killed. So these righteous people are killed by evil people inside of this holy city, just like Jesus was killed outside of Jerusalem in Golgotha. So this understanding of, you know, these what Jerusalem actually is. And this is another thing that we actually are really, um, we're really trying to get to people to understand that even Jerusalem itself or Israel, Zion, you know, things like this, it's not the literal location that God is concerned with after a certain amount of time. It's synonymous with God's people, right? It's synonymous with God's people. So in the Old Testament, Israel wasn't even a location. It was a person, right? Jacob's Jacob, name, yeah, boy. Jacob's name became Israel, right? It was given as a blessing. And then later, and what the term actually means is, you know, to overcome. And I, I, it might be a little bit too much to go into now talking about that particular thing. But Jesus is the one who overcomes in the time of the first coming, right? John 16, I have overcome the world. So now he is the one who's referred to as, you know, Israel. And that's why he creates spiritual Israel through his 12 children, which are the 12 disciples. And then in the time of Revelation, there's the one who overcomes who creates again, the 12 tribes. So the song of Moses, just like he said, there's a lot of songs that are sung and the Psalms themselves are also prophecies. Not every single one, because again, God is hiding, you know, Jesus in the old Testament as well. Throughout the entire old Testament, Jesus is hidden in all those you know, prophecies. So in Luke chapter 22 or 24, now Luke chapter 24, verse 44, when he's actually talking to his disciples, he says, All these things had to happen to me that were written about me in the books of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. So he actually uses the book of Psalms to testify that those were prophecies about Jesus himself. So the new song that you're talking about inside of the Psalms, that's what was promised that Jesus would actually do. And then Psalm 74, that Leviathan, the coiling serpent, right? It's also in Isaiah 58. Uh, It talks about Leviathan, the coiling serpent, the monster of the sea. When that's really fulfilled, again, that's a prophecy for Revelation, because the devil's not defeated, and that's who that monster is, the serpent, the coiling serpent, Revelation 20, verse 2, right? Satan, the devil, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the monster of the sea, he's the one that actually is in control of, inside of Revelation, there's Babylon, which is referred to as the sea. So he's the one that actually is inside the sea. The dragon itself is not defeated until Revelation chapter 20. That's when he's actually defeated. So even that's a prophecy for the time of the second coming. Same thing at the time of Genesis. This is why I say Revelation is just like Genesis as well, because there's the promise and prophecy of, you know, the child that will be born from the woman who will, you know, eventually crush the serpent's head. Well, in the time of the first coming, Jesus didn't defeat Satan completely, right? If you look at like Matthew, is it Luke 8 or Matthew 8, where he talks about the person that's demon-possessed. And they're like, what do you want with us, son of God? It's not yet the appointed time. So the first coming wasn't the appointed time to actually destroy Satan. It's not until Revelation. Right? (laughs) The song of Moses and the song of the lamb, it just really represents all the teachings. All the teachings from Genesis, the first coming, everything. And the song he's talking about in Revelation chapter 5, it's the, the elders, they're singing the song that says, you are worthy because you have been slain and with your blood. You purchase men from every tribe and language and nation and people to be a kingdom of priests, right? A kingdom of priests. And we've talked about those before, you know, in the past, but I'll leave it for there.
0: You said you were going to make it easy instructor Aaron. <laughs> well, I was about the song, the
1: song I did, right. The song was simple.
0: Yeah.
2: There, there are a lot of parallels. That's why I brought up the, like the literal sense is the Jerusalem temple and the, the, the Jerusalem temple for the Jews they, it's like the world to them. It, it, the world was created, the universe was created in Genesis in seven days. And whenever the Jerusalem temple was created, it's always like 70 years or it's always seven. There's always seven in there. And for the Jews, the, like the four corners of the Jerusalem temple, uh, it symbolizes the four corners of earth. So there's a lot of, the Jews are fond of, like numbers, symbols, true numbers. So the number seven is the number of the covenant and the number of completion, uh, as well as the corners of the earth, the Jerusalem temple symbolizes that. So it's for them, it's the world to them. So so that's why when it got destroyed in 70 AD, it's kind of like the end of the world for them. It's an end of an era. For the Jews, and it's the start of the, the church becoming like uh, spreading all around the world. So that's uh, one of the th- that's why I mentioned the senses because mm-hmm. like the temple has a lot of senses. The literal sense is the temple, the temple of Jerusalem. The allegorical sense, how does it relate to Christ? Christ is the new temple as well. The moral sense, our body is also a temple as, right, as right. said by, by Paul. And uh, uh, the anagogical sense is the temple in the future in heaven or heavenly kingdom. Right. So that's the reason why, why I see a lot of echoes going on in scripture because it's really mind-blowing once you see these uh, like echoes, the repetition of themes, the typology, and all those jazz.
0: I think we agree on that, actually. I think we see eye to eye on that. I mean, we mentioned earlier about how, you know, things in the Old Testament, I think most of them were really more physical, but then you see like a spiritual transition of the same thing in the time of the first coming. And now we're saying, I think Instructor Dr. Aaron is saying at the time of second coming, you know, all of these things were already kind of, again, foreshadowed in the past. And there's a moment of completion Completion, I suppose, is a, is a word for it. Like at some point in time, all of these things are supposed to fit like a puzzle and they're supposed to align is the sense that I'm getting. I suppose, you know, we've heard what you have in a new earth. Shinjuri Church of Jesus has to say about this figurative language of song that we see in the book of Revelation and in other parts of the Bible. Jay, you know, you've shared with us how, yes, this word song, new song, Moses' song, even an old song, thanks to Tina. I mean, those things are, yeah, we see that all throughout the Bible. And I suppose at this point in time, when a church says there is a testimony, because all of these things actually pertain to something. Um, I, I guess that's what we're trying to break down on the show, because from everything we've heard so far, you know, there seems to be like a logical and biblical explanation for the figurative language that we see in the book of Revelation. Um, Tina, what what do you got? That there is a new song that we don't know of. (laughs) If we believe.
1: Yeah, the the hard part is, the hard part for me, I'll put it this way. The hard part for me is because everything is so attached, right everything is is connected when it comes to uh, the understanding of the bible from the old testament first coming and you know revelation that when one thing is is not explained fully it's hard to be able to attach it all together and that's why i've mentioned this in the past but that's why you know these lessons are taught in a certain way yeah right in a certain way so you can build on them right it's like building blocks of understanding just like when you're going to learn mathematics you have to know what plus and minus mean before anything else, because if you don't know that nothing else is going to make sense.
0: No, so one example, I never passed my math classes. Sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so for example, when, when, you know, when Jay and I are talking and, you know, he, he mentions about like, for example, the sea of glass, or um, if we talk about, you know, Jerusalem, or we talk about the temple or things like this, there's also a very deep spiritual understanding about each of those things and so i find myself trying to explain it but i think in doing so it ends up being a little bit too much mm. because it's so, i'm trying to cram so many lessons or so much understanding yeah, in such in a, a limited time right. yeah
0: so, and so I, you know yeah just oh.
1: focusing on the song would just be the smart thing <laughs> right
0: right yeah, so yeah. going <laughs> back to what jay said earlier about the other denomination how they keep changing the dates it's, mm. just to simply say no that <laughs> <I don't, laughs> saying so i to to me like I, I feel like the the reason why they keep changing the date is because they don't fully understand what is happening in the revelation wait so they really do that like they they legit do that <laughs> i did not know
1: if, <laughs> T, are you okay yeah they, they move the, the GoPro. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they do they do they, they did, uh, n- but not anymore. They they stopped doing it. Uh, oh, okay, my- okay, okay. There's been a few. There was a couple recently actually where the same thing, just over the last few years, especially when 2012 came around. Right? You know, Oh my
0: gosh, show. yeah. Like the movie Instructor Aaron. Yeah, remember.
1: Yep. So that's why the 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 date, again, it was never anything that anyone could quote unquote figure out.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: There was no mathematical science to figuring out when revelation was going to be fulfilled. It's something that God sealed.
0: Right. And even the Bible says, Instructor Aaron, right? Like no one is supposed to know the time and don't waste your time trying to figure that out. That's God's decision. However, I think the Bible does tell us that when the time comes, you will know. Yes. You're (laughs) supposed to know because certain things are supposed to happen. That whole verse about Jesus coming like a thief in the night is really part of the story, right? For some people, it'll, he's going to come like a thief in the night. But there are people who will know. And so it's not going to be a surprise for them. Isn't that the complete understanding of that text?
1: Yeah, that's first, uh, you're, you're using like First Thessalonians 5 as well. So in First Thessalonians 5, there's children of darkness and children of light. And it says, to those that are in the darkness, he will come like a thief in the night. But you are not children of the darkness, you are children of the light. So he will not come to you like a thief. So meaning this, it's when the event happens, no one knows. It's, a, it's definitely happens just the moment that God decides, right? And no one in the world will know when it actually takes place. Just like the time when, you know, John the Baptist is chosen, you know, through Elizabeth to give, you know, to give birth to John the Baptist. Nobody knew what was going on or the moment that Jesus was going to be born. No one knew the day he was going to be born, right? No one knew that exact day or how it was going to happen or any of those things. Once it does happen, then it becomes history. And then history can be taught, right? It's the same thing with revelation. So no one is meant to know when it's meant to happen, but the events, when, when revelation starts to be fulfilled, to become someone who is a child of light, that means you have understanding, right? Just like in the world, you say, here, let me shed some light on this.
0: Let me enlighten you on that.
1: Exactly, right? Yes. Now, no one knows, everyone's in spiritual darkness. Because the lampstand that came, this, again, goes back. <laughs> it's hard for me. I have so much I want so much stuff I want to <laughs> tell you guys. Um, going back to the tabernacle of Moses, okay, there's a lampstand in there. This is where the logic of the lampstand comes from. The lampstand itself was lit from evening until morning. Okay, from evening until morning, Aaron was the one that lit the lamp. Okay, Aaron was the brother of Moses. He was the priest, right, the one that was supposed to be taken over. Aaron also betrayed right? During making the golden calf in Exodus 32,
0: more than once he
1: actually, yeah, more than once he went against Moses, but he was still being used by God, but his job, right? Aaron's job was to light the lamp. That was his job from evening until morning, and then put out the lamp. Why? Why is it important, right? There's even special olive oil that has to be used for the lamp, but all these things, as I said, in, you know, Hebrews chapter, you know, eight and nine, like Hebrews 9.9 9 says that all of this is an illustration, right? It's an illustration. It's not the real thing. And so what does the lamp actually represent? It's something that comes at night. And it's something that's light, that's being lit with olive oil. And it's being lit by Aaron, right? The one who actually is not the one who God chose to go into Egypt. He's the one that went in first to prepare the way for Moses, right? Moses didn't want to go in. So Aaron sent in first and he says, my brother's coming, right? And he's the one God's going to work through. And it's kind of interesting, but Aaron's the one that actually performed the first miracles. It wasn't actually Moses. In the movie, he's just kind of you know forgotten, but he's the one that performed a lot of the first miracles uh, with the staff. But anyway, Aaron goes in as the one who prepares the way for Moses. His job is to light the lamp from evening until morning. Then in the morning, Moses baked the bread, right? The 12 loaves of bread. And he would go in and meet with God in the most holy place. So there's this relationship between Aaron and the lampstand and Moses and God. Now take that to the time of the first coming. Jesus refers to John the Baptist as a light, a lamp. John chapter 5, verse 35. In Malachi, it says that before the one comes, there's going to be another that prepares the way. The one that prepares the way is John the Baptist he's the lampstand. When did he come? He came at spiritual darkness because Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He says, everyone else is in darkness. So the entire spiritual world of Jerusalem was all in spiritual darkness until John the Baptist came and he was a lamp. Well, the lamps only lit at night when everything else is dark, right? Yeah. And then Jesus came as that lampstand, or I'm sorry, as the sun is what it's referred to. John the Baptist, his light goes out and then Jesus is that, you know, that glorious son. So the same logic is carried over in the time of revelation, right? The same understanding of the lampstand, the one that prepares the way, you know, all of these things are all carried over into, you know, that time. So that's really what it means to be a child of light is someone who's receiving that knowledge, understands the truth. So in the time of the first coming, right? Jesus was the light, was the light, And anyone that belonged to him was a child of light. They were born through that word of truth. They were born through that light. In the time of the second coming, it's no different. By learning the testimony, you are becoming a child of light. So now you are not going to be surprised when God's kingdom is being created here on this earth, which is literally happening at this moment, right? But if you don't know about it, then it's all happening like a thief in the night. The 144,000 being harvested and being sealed, if you don't know about it, it's like a thief in the night if you do know about it you're a part of it the great multitude being you know harvested at this time if you know about it you're a child of light if you don't know about it you're in darkness does that make sense
0: it does it does but i do want to say this because i think from having heard you know uh through these conversations that we've been having I think what is starting to emerge for me is that Shin Shinji is saying whatever happened at the time of first coming, you know, with Jesus coming with a testimony, people having to believe in that testimony, that's going to happen again at the second coming, which I don't think is maybe the general understanding. Jay, am I right? We don't see the second coming as like something at the first coming happening again, right?
2: Well, if there are echoes, it could be that uh, like the the second coming right. uh, could have some like uh, repeated uh, themes from the uh-huh. first coming. So you, you echoes are usually there throughout the Bibles oh. Oh. and throughout history. So it, it's not far that that could happen again.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay.
2: I, so, I did not like, know like, that. But... No. No. Like 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 I said. Uh. Like uh. I mentioned Moses uh, singing the song uh, because I I built on on that for like the singing of the song for the Jerusalem when when uh, the the Christians were saved from Jerusalem because there there are there there are written history from Josephus that that the Christian fled to the mountains uh, from. From the when Jerusalem was this uh, destroyed, and there are a lot of like themes that you'll see in Matthew and Revelation that are uh, uh, that Jesus, Josephus has written on that happened. So, so that's one. But it's it, it won't. Uh, I won't be surprised if the same thing happens again in the future, because. Okay. That, we, we could sing a, a song the same way that Moses sing during their victory in the Red Sea. So that's where I'm getting at.
0: Okay. All right. Well, having heard everything that you did today, though, you know, like, what do you want to, what are your parting words on the Narrow Door podcast? Although, of course, you can come. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, first, thank you for inviting me, Sam.
0: Oh my gosh, you're welcome. Thanks for being here. <laughs>
2: Yes, and, and there's a lot of, to unpack. And as you mentioned, uh, like maybe I got in, in the middle of the story. Yeah. That's why I, I don't know the context. And the same thing with what I've been saying when, I, when I'm talking from a Catholic angle. So we also have a lot of things from Genesis that leads up to Revelation. Yes. And uh, the, the one with John the Baptist. There's also the angle where John is Elijah. The 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 Elijah prefigures John mm. and Elisha prefigures Jesus. And a lot of parallel there that maybe we could uh, we could discuss if we have time. So what I can say is just uh, read the Bible. Uh Bernstein and I are doing the unboxing the Bible yes. series, yes. and if you're Catholic and you you've gone through that, we we're we're translating Jeff Cavins' uh, Bible timeline stuff in mm-hmm. Tagalog, mm-hmm. and you might know the context of where I'm coming from as well. Yeah, if you follow that as well, yeah. the unboxing the Bible. So right now we're as we speak we're we're still in Genesis because it's it's just a few episodes since we started it. Mm-hmm. So so there. And I don't know why I end up uh, promoting unboxing catholicism I should instead of your own my, show. <laughs> I should promote my own show, the Jay Aruga Show podcast. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> what's going on with you and yeah, the Jay Aruga show season three? You know, what's yeah, new yeah. I, on season
2: three? I, I, yeah, actually I just uh ended season three. So oh, okay. so oh, wow. I, I'm You're taking great. a break a podcast break. So I, I do this every Lent. So it's my season break every Lent. Nice. But uh, season three has been really good. Mm-hmm. Not as good as season two because Sam always there in season two. Unbeatable. So that's the only Unbeatable. reason. Unbeatable. Don't even try it. <laughs> okay. We have uh, like guest there, Jeff Kavins, as Sam mentioned, Trent Horn, Jason Everett, and a lot of other foreign guests. So yeah, uh, I, I talk about conservative values through a secular reason. So I, I talk about divorce. I talk about same-sex marriage. I, I talk about abortion and all that jazz using reason alone. So for, for, for that podcast, uh, I don't use Bible verses a lot because these, these moral issues there are good reasons to 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 apply these uh, moral stuff. Uh, like we, what we believe in has good secular reasons. So that's what I'm unpacking in my podcast, The J.R. Gashow.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and you know what? These are not easy conversations to have and not easy ideas it's to not, present. Yeah. And I really admire you for taking that on. Jay. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Someone has to talk about it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm glad it's you and not me. So go to <laughs> Jay Arukash show. It's on Spotify. Um, he's on season break right now. But hey, what is Spotify for? You can binge watch, binge listen to all of these episodes. Yes, yes. yes. Same with the yes, Narador podcast. Please. And um instructor Aaron, you know, this has been a lot today.
1: If you ever need me to just, you know, stop talking. <laughs> you can you can tell me to stop talking this is um I just want to first as well as saying thank you for even allowing us you know to have this kind of platform. It's really amazing um but for me, it's really new so this is I've never attempted to teach in this way where questions are given and you know just from basically shooting from the hip, trying to give a deep understanding of the testimony of you knowsnhannji if this is if if what we're saying is really true you know and i'll just put it like that because of course everyone has to verify if what we're saying is really true then the testimony is not just going to be some simple understanding of revelation it's going to be something that unlocks mysteries that have been sealed for thousands of years within the bible right it's not just revelation means this but it means even when genesis was written 3500 years ago the law of moses all the teachings of Jesus, everything has these hidden mysteries that God has kept sealed and hidden until revelation. And so if I'm giving this kind of testimony, it's so crazy for me because I have no idea how really it sounds to other people. I don't know the proper way to actually you know teach it in this way. So I even find myself going, wow, that was a lot. That was wow. That was, maybe I should have not said that part. It was... <laughs> Just because it's so much. It's so much. But these answers, they're, they're deep. It's everything that I'm going to be able to explain. It's so deep. And there's not just one way of understanding. It's, it's going to dive all the way back into the beginning. So again, I just want to apologize if it is a little bit too much for some people, right? If it's a little overwhelming. So I hope if they're if they're listening, write down questions, right? Write to Sam and, and ask those kind of questions. Wait, you said this, but that didn't make any sense, or you didn't fully explain this. And then maybe I can you know, be able to learn how to, you know, teach it in this way, it might, it might help me as well. So right. just thank you. And Jay, thank you for, for listening and being so you know open-hearted and Thanks. giving your mm-hmm. opinion and everything too. I really, really appreciate it. Like a lot. It's so just awesome to be able to communicate in this way. I love it. So
0: mm-hmm. healing leaves for instructor Aaron on YouTube, the dog behind the human podcast with Tina Ryan on Spotify and YouTube with dog coach Francis. We do have an email as instructor Aaron says, the narrow door podcast at gmail.com write to us. We'd love to talk about it more on the show. Again, G, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.